last week, I started a, a, this little mini three-week series on rhythms, rhythms of worship, r- rhythms of our lives, some things that I really felt like God was pressing upon us here, upon my heart, upon my wife Chandra's heart to, to just be um, in the rhythm of doing. So last week I talked about the rhythm of communion and communion is this common union, communion, and, and, and it, there's an intimacy involved in it. And it's this, it's this common union that we have with God, we have with Jesus. There's this place that we come to and it's not just the elements, but it's an encounter. It's not just cracker or bread and wine or juice. Uh, It's actually an encounter. It's more than these elements that we do it with, but it's an encounter with a living God. That's the purpose of communion. We were made for it. We were built for it from the beginning of creation. We were made to have this common union with God, walking in the garden, and sin broke that. And so today we're going to talk about the rhythm of community And I'm going to read in in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now we, in the last series we were in, I utilized this scripture often. And really, there's so much in it. I could probably preach out of this chapter, truthfully. I could probably preach an entire year out of this chapter of the book of Acts because I think there's so much revelation in it. And, And that's what I love about scripture. And so as I read this, we're going to pull something out of it, and we're going to define this a little bit deeper. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Hold on, let me back up a second. In the beginning of this chapter, I want to to set, because context is everything, isn't it? Okay. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus gives the instruction to the disciples, I need you to go into this upper room. It's the same upper room that they waited, um, and they had the, the Last Supper, the Last Supper, communion with Jesus. And he says, I need you to go back to this place. I need you to wait for the thing that I'm sending you. And so because of their pledge and promise to Jesus, they, they're obedient, and they go to this place, and they wait. So in the very first verse of Acts chapter 2, This is what it says. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound, and the Holy Spirit comes in. Okay, now that's, that's the context of what happened. Okay? That was the infusion of power. That was the infusion of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus had promised. Now, having said that, if you go to the very end of chapter 2, this is what happens. All the believers, now we went through this before. How many believers are all the believers? All do you, does anyone remember the number? 3,120. So if you read from the first verse to this verse, it's going to add up to 3,120 approximately, give or take a half. I don't know how statistics, you know, two and a half children per family. I don't, I've never had a half a child. All the believers, verse 42 devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Okay. We talked about the Lord's Supper last week. I'm going to talk today about this rhythm of community. And I'm going to define community. It says, because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to their, to their teaching and to fellowship. And we don't use that word a whole lot in, in modern day, like, we want to get together in fellowship. It's like, hey, do you want to hang out? 
Do you want to? Do you want to go surf? Do you want to go to? The, well, we can't go to the movies yet. Baby Jesus. Prophetically speaking, want to go to the movies? Hmm. Here's what's fascinating about community. I'm going to define a couple things because I think it's important. Uh, oftentimes, we use words that have lots of meanings to different people depending on their experience. So I want to I want to set some markers in the ground and define some things. Uh, I'll, let me define community. Uh, and and by doing this. This morning, I'm going to define what community is, but I want to define what community is not. And to define what community is not, I'm going to define what community is today. Social scientists, in fact, this very famous social scientist, her name is Brene Brown. Has anyone heard of Brene Brown? If you're on her online campus, if you've, heard of Brene, if you've read any of her books, if you've seen her, she's got one of the, the most famous TED Talks out there. You can go and you can watch her when we're done. Wait till I'm done, then you can watch her. Um, don't run over there now, but you can watch. She's fabulous. She's a social scientist, and one of the things that she found in studying society, she's a scientist of society, one of the things that she found is this, that community is strong today, but the problem is that it has a few weak points. Community today actually gathers around what they are divided against. Community today... They gather around, communities gather around what they're divided against. Here's what I mean. Community is meant to gather around common unions, things that you're for. Now, there's a fine line here. Community today, the whole foundation of communities that we're finding in society are, are gathering around things that they stand against, things that they hate. So to make it real, community today looks like joining arms in a community that stands against a political ideology. It's not that you stand for anything in and amongst yourselves. So here's the breakdown. What Brene Brown says happens is, is that we can feel a, a shallow sense of belonging in community today by gathering around things that we stand against. But what ends up happening is we're not gathered around loving one another because we're not gathered around love. So when you run into a problem, when I run into a problem, let's say I get that diagnosis from the doctor that no one wants to get. And I belong to this community that stands against something, let's say a political ideology. And I say to all of my friends in my community who stand against, we want division, we, we want to sow division against something. And I say to my friends, I, I'm, I'm devastated, I've received this diagnosis. What social science is finding is no one in that community really cares about you and your diagnosis. They only care about the thing that you're divided against. They're only in partnership with you as long as you're tearing down the thing that you dislike. But they're not in partnership with you because you belong to a true community that loves one another. Are you following me? Community on the surface can look like belonging when it's not. And the deepest sense that you and I have in life is that we need to belong to something. There's two things that I know about humanity. You want to know that you're loved and you want to know that you belong to something. 
Everyone wants to be loved, and if you're loved, you're going to feel like you have a sense of belonging. And community today is not doing a good job of this. It feels like it on the surface, but when the rubber hits the road, community is not holding together. We're going to talk about two things when it comes to community, the rhythm of community. If, if, if I just defined community is really is breaking down today. Let's talk about what we need to really be focused on to really embrace the rhythm of community that God intended for us to have. And that is the rhythm of community is an oath and the rhythm of community actually is an overflow. So when we read in verse 42 of Acts, and it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. This word fellowship, now again, I'm going to define some things just because I want us to have a good, strong foundation. This word fellowship, we don't use this word fellowship a lot, but let me tell you what the word is in Greek. The, the word in Greek is koinonia. Now, when I was a little kid, I remember uh, growing up in church, and we had koinonia fellowship. Like, we doubled down on the word. Koinonia means fellowship, but we couldn't just say, hey, we're going to hang out. It was when I was a little kid. It was like, we were at church like three times a week. And it's like, we'd have church on Sunday, then we'd, go, we'd eat some lunch with some people from church, and then we'd end up back at church on Sunday night. And, you know, my parents would send us home, and they would hang out some more with all the adults. And we, they would have, Sunday night was like koinonia. And it was this word, and I was like, wow, this is a really weird word. But hey, we're all hanging out, and we get food, and we get to run around as little kids, right? You're playing tag, especially in the summer months. It's like, it's super light outside. This was a great time. We were hanging out and having fun together. This word koinonia, fellowship, let me tell you what it means. This word means means community. Let me tell you what else it means. Communion. I, I, I want to suggest to you that last week we talked about we need to have the rhythm of communion in our lives and that we can't decouple communion and community. You can't, you can't separate the two because the word fellowship this is almost the exact same. There, there's, some, there's some strong similarities between my definition of communion last week. Joint participation, social intercourse. This is, this is how I defined communion. Here's, I mean, intimacy. Now here's where it gets fascinating. Community, fellowship. Says they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to this community. It's, it's a right hand as a sign and pledge or oath of fellowship. So have you ever, you know, you see the depiction or if you've ever been somewhere, if you've been sworn into something, you say, raise your right hand, you're like, Phew. you put your left hand on a Bible or, you know, put your left hand on your heart or you do something and you swear an oath and your right hand is up. Let me tell you where that came from. In the Old Testament, culturally, what would happen is, is that as an individual would take an oath, let's say I was going to take an oath with you. And typically, it was, it was to a patriarch. It was to someone who was older, and they said, hey, um, they, they, would, they would have, a, they would have a, a request. They would say, this is what I'm calling you to. And I would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pledge myself. So I would give the right hand of, of a pledge. And it was called a bodily oath. Why was it called that? Because I would actually take my right hand and I would place it on the inner thigh of the person that I was taking an oath with. And I would repeat to them the promise. I would give them my word. 
it wasn't a contract that I signed that had a clause that I could break. It was an intimate exchange that was meant to never be broken. An oath is a solemn promise. It's often invoking a divine witness, which is why when marriage happens, it's done in front of someone who's been solemnized, a pastor, someone who's taken a test, who's been registered with the state of whatever. It's why when I marry someone, when my daughter got married a couple weeks ago, we did this in front of witnesses and we did this in front of God. That when we take these oaths, that we're taking an oath with one another, potentially in, in community, in the community that's being described in the book of Acts, that they had this oath with one another. But more importantly, they had an oath before God. It's, it's a vow. It's going to determine one's future action or behavior. It's a promise, a pledge, your word of honor, or your word. It's a bond. It's a guarantee. So you hear, old school, I don't need a contract. I just need to shake your hand. What would happen? Right hands. My word is my what? Bond. It's a derivative of these bodily oaths that were taken in the Old Testament. That's where this came from. The oath shows the intimacy of biblical community. It's two becoming one. You're giving yourself over for someone else. That when you give an oath, you're vowing yourself to that person, to that community. You're giving yourself for something. The right hand represents this pledge of fidelity or faithfulness. And if you look scripturally, it's a symbol of power and strength. Its position at the right hand is a chief place of honor and power. Jesus is now currently sitting at the right hand of the Father as the oath of redeemed intimacy between the Father and the human community, or we call humanity. In Romans 8, 34, who then will condemn us? No one. Why can no one condemn us? Because we have been tied together and woven together in community with the Father. The human community, humanity, and the Father back to our original design by Jesus Christ through what he's done. And he's taken a seat where? In Romans, check this out. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting in the place of honor where? At God's right hand. 
biblical community is an assembly of people bound, literally knit together, bound to the central purpose of following God as a people of God. With God at the center. So the rhythm of community is the intimate oath to follow God as a people of God with God at the center. Now that changes, after hearing that, that changes my perception of community. And that if this is true, with God at the center, that the rhythm of community is now an overflow. It, the, the book of Acts didn't start with them being devoted to the apostles' teaching. It started with them gathering as a pledge and an oath of obedience to Jesus and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we, what we see in Acts and we in our lives, we live in an overflow of a communal God. Here's what I mean. Genesis 1.26, then God said, this is the very beginning, by the way. When you get into Genesis, you're taking it back to the, the original design. And I've been, I've been speaking a lot about our origins and original design because I think what we have to do is we see the, I, I believe the enemy wants to attack origins. And we have to understand who we are in our original design. So we take it back to Genesis, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us, let us. That's a, that's a plural pronoun. God, we think as a singular, says, let us. Who is he talking about? Who was present at the time of creation? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we have a communal God who before the existence of time and space lived in community, perfect community, the picture of perfect communal living. And he created us. Let us do what? We have a communal God doing what? Let us make human beings in our image. That means if we're made in the image of a communal God, we are actually made as community in community. We were designed and we were created out of the overflow of a communal God to live in community. That's why God was like, it's not good that man should be alone. I need, I need him to be in community. God's like, I got my people. He needs his people. He's going to need help. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So we have a communal God. Out of the overflow of the community he has, he creates the community of humanity that out of the overflow of that, we should be fruitful and multiply to create what? Community. So keeping a rhythm of community as the church is the overflow of being in relationship with God. 
and God being at the center of our relationships. And that's what we see in Acts 2, 42. That we have approximately 120 that gathered in an upper room, devoted, taking a pledge to Jesus to be obedient and wait there. The Holy Spirit shows up and what is birthed? Community. In fact, what I will tell you is, I believe that at that moment, God was birthing a new society that was bearing the image of his kingdom and how we were originally designed to live. We were originally designed to live with God at the center, the Holy Spirit infused. In fact, I will, I will tell you that that community that we read in the book of Acts, you know, people, oh, gosh, how do we get to that community? And we try to put programs around it. And it's not program-driven, it's presence-driven. That what we're trying to program is the manifestation. We try to build methodology around the derivative of being in relationship with Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And so we get this word community, I'm gonna, I'm gonna define it this way, when we have a common union with God, which gives us a common union with others, we have unity, we have a common unity, community. So that's why people say, well, how do, how, how, do we, how do we achieve unity? We're not gonna all agree on everything. Nowhere in the word unity does it say we have to agree on everything. What it means is we have to be aligned to something that's bigger than ourselves. So I don't want you to align to me as a leader. I want you to hear this. I don't wanna to align to you as a leader. I want us to be empowered with God's presence in the center and be aligned to the presence of God. And the derivative, the manifestation, will be we will live in true community. There's two types of community that I think that we then are, are left with. This common union community that places Jesus in the center. And it builds from there. Let's put Jesus in the center and let's just, let's just be aligned to him. And we may disagree on some things. And the way that bears out is, is that we can disagree on the lighting in the church. We can disagree on uh, what book of the Bible we should be teaching through. We can disagree on semantics of language. But we shouldn't quarrel about it. We should maintain an alignment to Jesus who's in the center. And this is a common union community. And that community always lives for something bigger than itself. Or we can live in an individualistic community. And dare I say, I think that's what we live in today. Highly individualistic community. And that places yourself in the center of that. 
and builds from there. And Jesus Christ is called the cornerstone. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to be part of a community where I'm the cornerstone. Because whatever is built on me as the cornerstone will fail. Why? Because I will fail. This is the problem we have in our society when we make celebrity out of people. (laughs) We will worship God based on how many followers a pastor has on a social media platform. And when that pastor falls, fails, our our whole spiritual life falls with it. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail in life. However, we're going to live for something bigger than ourselves. And we're not going to go unless we have the presence of God. I I love this depiction. Exodus 33, 15. Moses, I'm going to wrap up with this. Moses is spending time with God. God's giving direction to Moses. And, and, and Moses goes and he, he gets, essentially he gets the, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of, out of Egypt. And he gets them into the wilderness. And he's in the, in the wilderness. And, and Moses had some very fascinating conversations with God. He'd get a little spicy with God sometimes. And I can relate God sometimes is like, hey, this is what I want you to do. And Moses, in fact, didn't even want the job, just so you know. He's like, I don't think you, this is what he told God, I don't think you understand. I, don't, I can't even speak eloquently. Moses, some, some, some real deep thinkers of Scripture think that Moses had almost a speech impediment. But yet God's asking him to go before Pharaoh and, and to somehow command that he let the Israelites go. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. Uh, You got Aaron. You got, I I got, I gave you someone. Why? Because there's power and strength and honor in community. And so here's Moses and he's like, God's telling him, I want you to go. Okay, Moses, I want you to go. And, and, And this is what Moses says to him in verse 15 of Exodus. He says, then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me? Let me say it this way. How will anyone know that I'm any different than anyone else? What marks will I have? If you don't go with me, how would anyone be able to look at me and tell that I spend time with you? What makes me different? So he says, how, how will anyone know that you look favor, favorably on me, on me and on your people? The community, God, that you called out of slavery and into a land of promise, and now we're in the wilderness. So he says, how is anyone going to know this if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The presence of God set Israel apart from all other communities. 
The presence of God is what is required to set us apart from all other communities in existence. Because we're aligned to a God of love and grace and peace and long-suffering and joy and gentleness and kindness of redemption, of restoration. We are not aligned to a God of cancel culture, of hate. I think what, what Kehau was singing was, was prophetic. Her not knowing what I mean, I think it was prophetic. We're not aligned to a God who would look at Peter and say, bro, I'm gonna call you out and tell you that you're gonna deny me. You're gonna deny me and then I'm gonna discard you. Jesus actually was bound by oath to love Peter. Do you know he was bound by oath to love Judas? And Judas was sitting with him at the same time. And he's like, I, I, in fact, one of you is gonna deny me and, and one of you is gonna betray me. And Jesus knew who it was, but he still sat and loved him. Why? Because he had pledged himself. That's deep community. That, that is a sign of biblical community with the presence of God in the center. And I wanna tell you something. We exist as a church to curate communities of worship by facilitating spaces centered on the presence of God. Why? Because when we do that, we can be aligned to something that's bigger than ourselves. I wanna tell you something. If God doesn't go with us as a family, as a church, if God doesn't go with us, then I don't wanna go. You know why? Because I'm gonna fail. You're gonna fail. And then our going is predicated on our ability of strength and our own power. And that's not what, that's not, when we read the book of Acts, that's not what it was based on. We just don't hear all the tough, messy part of living together, devoted to one another, meeting daily. It doesn't talk about all the dirty diapers that needed to be changed, literally and figuratively. It's gonna get messy, but we've been pledged to one another. It's this idea of a marriage, of an oath that says, till what, death do us what, part, through better or for. And sometimes we look at our faith and we go, where's the escape clause? And I thank God that Jesus Christ didn't look for an escape clause. That he took his place at the right hand of the Father, the hand of, of, of an oath, of a pledge, of a vow, of intimacy, and brought us back to this place. And I'm gonna tell you, if the presence of God isn't with us, then we aren't gonna go. And so God, we move when you move. We go where you go. Because at best, at best, I can stutter in my speech. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, so everyone just close their eyes. And you can, if you're joining me in the building, you, you can stand if you're with me at home or in a place that you can stand. You can stand or just, you can just open your hands up. If you're driving, take one hand off the wheel if that's safe and you can just open your hand. I just, I, I just, I, I wanna pray this over us this morning. I have two questions and then I have something really quick. Number one, are you participating in a God-centered community? 
Not are you sitting. Are you participating in a God-centered community? And then what I would like you to do is is intentionally engage in a God-centered community one time this week. Why? Because you can do anything how many times? You can do anything one time. So we have opportunities. If you want to engage in a God-centered community this week, and you're like, I have nowhere to start. We have low on-ramps. You can sit at home and you can engage and participate in a God-centered community. You can go to themovement.org. You can jump in on a Zoom call. You can jump into a class. There's ways to engage. You can show up here on a, I mean, there's a really low on-ramp. Show up on a Sunday, participate. Join us on Friday night, either on our online campus for another night of worship. You can join us on our online campus. You can show up here. God is calling us back to this place. I felt like, I felt like this morning, uh, Jesus is breaking off isolation and loneliness. There's a breaking and there's a binding. God is breaking off isolation and loneliness in order to bind us together with him as well as one another. That community would become more than just sharing space with one another, but sharing experiences with one another. That we would move from being side-by-side neighbors to -to face-to-face family. And if anything, what scripture has taught me and I believe is alive and well today is a fierce attack by the enemy that will always attempt to break what God has purposed to bind. And that is community. The common union of humanity. Arms wrapped around the presence of God. And like Moses, how will anyone know? How will we know? If we don't have you in the center, the chief, the cornerstone, the thing that we hold on to. As we end today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm gonna tell you that your first step is, is to say, I, I need to wrap my arms around the one who stands as the oath and pledge. If that's you, I don't want you to leave this, this space, whether your physical space here or on our online campus. And, and if you're here in person, I simply want you to know that this decision is one of the most important decisions that you could make. More important than the decision to show up. That you're here for a reason and a purpose. So what I'm gonna ask is that before you leave this place, if you haven't fully wrapped yourself wholeheartedly around Jesus Christ that you would make yourself known because it's easy to stay hidden and quiet but that's not community Jesus is not saving you to set you back in an isolated individual place he's saving you and calling you and placing you as part of a people who are intentionally going after God And if you're on an online campus, you can raise your virtual hand. You can say, that's me. And one of our stream team members would be more than happy to spend some time just chatting with you. And so, Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would reckon our hearts to the real meaning of community 
It's not a program. It's about your presence. The rhythm of community that we see kept in the book of Acts, it's actually, it's an oath and it's an overflow. And so God, we, we pledge ourselves. We say today, we pledge ourselves and let it be an overflow of just going after you. God of grace and peace and love. In Jesus' powerful name, everyone said, amen and amen.